What an honor to be here. I really mean it. Uh, I have the privilege of actually doing some investing into pastors. And and every once in a while, you run into a guy and you're thinking, wow, uh, Lord's going to use this guy in a great way. And uh, that's your pastor. He uh, loves the church. He loves the Lord. He loves the word. He loves you. He talks about you incessantly. He's almost bored me with you. So it's uh, incredible. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be here and to uh, just basically get to know you a little bit and also to encourage him and encourage your staff and uh, your leadership as well. Uh, interesting thing, uh, you know, in contrast to your church, uh, one of the things that I think of, I had one special criticism to level against the average Christian. And that would be this. It's not that they're actually doing anything terribly wrong. It's that they're really not doing anything at all. Are you with me on this? Uh, they just seem to kind of sit in the back and just watch things happen. And that reminds me of a person that I heard about, that I read about, uh, an elderly woman. Her name was Nancy Jones. Nancy Jones. You ever heard of Nancy Jones? Interesting. She was the oldest woman in her small Midwestern community, and one day she eventually just died. And so the editor of the newspaper was trying to figure out what he could say about Nancy and write a little article about her. But interesting enough, though she wasn't really known for anything wrong, she wasn't known for anything at all. And so he was pondering this a little bit, and he went to the coffee shop, And he sat down and he ran into the funeral home director who also was pondering about what to put on her tombstone, right? He he says, you know, I I wanted to put something more than she was born on such and such a day and she died on such and such a day. And so they're struggling over this. And so the editor goes, I don't know what to do. So what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to go back to my office and the very first editor and reporter that I run into, I'm going to assign him the task of writing a small little article about Nancy Jones and then also writing what's going to go on the tombstone. It just so happened the only editor, the only reporter that was at the office was the sports writer. So they tell me that when you drive through this little Mideastern town, you'll hear this and see this on her tombstone. It says this, here lie the bones of Nancy Jones, for her life held no terrors. She lived an old maid. She died an old maid. No hits, no runs, no errors. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I don't want that to be said about me, right? I would like to have made some sort of positive contribution to the kingdom of God, to the glory of God, before I go home to be with the Lord. And when you reach the end of your life, uh, when it's all said and done, what legacy would you like to leave on this planet. Now, before you answer, remember that the impact that God is very interested in is your impact on people. On people. He wants you to be influential in the lives of people. Uh, Your family, your church family, your friends, your neighbors, your workmates, the lost all around you at work, at school, and in your neighborhood. You know, we all know that things don't matter. We all know that teams dissolve, trophies break, you know, houses even rot. But people and God's Word are eternal. So how is it going to be that we influence people? And that alone makes obedience to the command to make disciples all the more valuable and all the more incredibly important. Now it's right at this point, as soon as you mention the word discipleship, 
with this concept, many Christians get it wrong. Uh, They don't really understand what God's Word has to say. Just mentioning that Word creates all kinds of pictures in people's minds that are incorrect because of programs, because of concepts and ideas. Most Christians see discipleship functioning only one way. They see it as an optional event if you have time, or it's different than parenting, or it's some sort of weekly meeting to discuss a book. And if I can suggest that if that's your concept about discipleship, you you really don't understand the biblical concept and the biblical theology of discipleship at all. You and I are commanded by Christ to pursue intentional relationships for the purpose of growing one another within the context of the local church. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, the younger men are to submit and to follow the pattern and example of the older men. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 and 17, you have church members are to imitate their leaders to follow their example. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, children are to follow their parents. It's not optional. It's not a command to be ignored. And therefore, some of you really, and to be quite honest, won't pursue discipleship because you have these weird views. This weird understanding of someone meeting one-on-one together to discuss a book at Denny's, you know, where everything tastes like scrambled eggs. So understand, you, you think about it as a once-a-week meeting comparing your life to a good Christian book Or maybe it's done with one older mentor or discipleship only counts when you're listening to some sort of seminary guru. But understand, that is not discipleship. Let's get a clear picture by turning in your Bibles, if you would, to the main reference to discipleship, and that would be Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, to the very end of the Gospel of Matthew. If you're not there already, please turn there. There is the Gospel to the Jews who were very myopic. They're thinking it's all about us, and Jesus gives this final command saying, I want you to take this message to the nations, to the world. And so it's not just about you anymore. And so we find it very clear at the end of this gospel that is primarily written towards a Jewish audience, and basically giving us our mission, our command, the thing that we're to follow. And before you read it out loud, let me highlight a couple of truths that are found here that you might understand it and catch some obvious truths. Look at verse 18, Matthew 28. This command comes from Christ, who is the all-powerful, sovereign God above all. It says, he says, I have all authority. All authority. And you know what the all means in the Greek, right? Everybody understands it means what? All. That's right. All authority. Verse 19, the main command is make disciples. And if you look at the context here, it's basically defined by three participles, go, baptizing, and teaching. Go, baptizing, teaching is how you make disciples. And verse 20, this command comes with God's special presence. He says, I am with you. How often? Always. Yes, you can respond here at Evergreen. You can. I am with you how often? Thank you. Always. In verse 20, this command is still active. It's still for each one of you who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ because it says this command is good until the end of the age. And friends, we are not at the end of the age yet. And therefore, this command is for us 
to respond and to obey. So if you can, read aloud with me, either from the PowerPoint or from an outline or wherever you can. Let's try to read it together, and it's good for us to read it out loud if you can. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, and let's try to read it together. Ready, everyone? Here we go. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I I, I know I shouldn't say this, but you, honestly, before God, if the Lord were standing here physically, I'm telling you, you are the best readers first time ever. I go places, and boy, they are terrible, and you did a fantastic job. So let's close in prayer. Uh, uh, What you've got here is I want you to allow God's Word, if you would, to give you an eye exam so you can clearly see what He intends for discipleship, because I think you're going to find it extremely refreshing and encouraging to you. Many of you need to fix a distorted view. Some of you need to feel the passion of Christ our Lord Jesus, as he's calling us to be about this process. So the Great Commission is actually one of the church's big G's, I call them. Uh, You've got the great commandment to love. You've got the G, gospel, to proclaim. You've got the G, God's glory, to display. And you've got the G, great commission, to invest. So number one in your outline, let's take a look at making disciples is not an option. It's not an option. You see the non-option there in verses 16 through 18. What you have here is the resurrected Jesus Christ, okay? And he is resurrected from the dead. He is in a glorified body. He has proven that everything he said and everything he's done is absolutely true. It's most likely uh, this particular event is where Christ appeared to at least 500 at one time. And this is God in the flesh, and this is the command, are you ready, that he leaves us with before he ascends. This is the final word uh, of basically our commissioning, his final earthly order. And the command comes with all authority of the sovereign God. And again, apart from Christ, you and I can do nothing, so we need to rely on him in order which to accomplish this. But I think, and as I see this lived out in the church today, that the church is messing up. It's messing up. We're ignoring the command. We are elevating other priorities so high that this command is overlooked. And yet, what could be more natural than meeting with a brother or a sister or a couple to couple and actually talking about how we can then encourage each other to grow to be more like Jesus Christ. What is it that the Spirit of God wants to do with you as a Christian before you go to heaven? What is the singular goal that the Spirit of God is trying to do in your life? Anybody know? He is trying to make you, according to Romans 8, like Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen to that? That's what he wants. That's how you bring him glory. 
And the discipleship process is me encouraging you and you encouraging me and you encouraging one another to become more like Jesus in relationship to each other. That's the discipleship process. And some of you think this is beyond you, but it's not. You are a part of the process of spiritual reproduction from the very beginning. This was the plan. This was the heart of Christ. This is what he desires for us. In fact, even back in the Old Testament, you see this desire from God to accomplish this. Way back when, before there was a church, way back when, before there was even a synagogue, the Lord put this into place as they're sitting at the mountains of Moab. They're overlooking the Rift Valley. They're looking into the nation of Israel that they're about to conquer. In the book of Joshua, in Deuteronomy, he gives this challenge to fathers to be so saturated in God's Word that basically it's always on your heart. Why? Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Every element of life was an opportunity in which to influence one another relationally in order to become more like Christ, to be under the authority of the Word of God, to, to be parenting, which really isn't a biblical word. It's the word discipleship, to be discipling our children. It's spiritual parenting. And now Jesus says to you and to me, until I return, you and I are to pursue these intentional, not passive, but intentional relationships for the purpose of growing in Christ in the context of the local church. It's like a relay race. You're passing the baton. You say, Chris, I, I'm not very mature. I'm not very old as a Christian. Yeah, but you can even pass on what you learned from your failures. It's the process of growing that you're passing on and influencing one another. I mean, when you catch a cold, you're trying to be very careful not to spread your germs. But when you catch Jesus, when he catches you, you want to spread it. You want to infect everybody around you, right? Sneeze on them with Christ in a weird way. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, what's he say? The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Uh, ladies, uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 3, older women, I will not define that, I'm not crazy, but older women, you may encourage or train the younger women. You're to invest in those younger women. I mean, you know this. This happens all the time. A baby, he's got to learn to walk, to run, to feed himself, to jump. But much of that is really brought about by the intentional encouragement of excited parents, right? They're, they're constantly encouraging this with their little child. Well, Christians are to intentionally encourage other believers to mature in that same manner, that kind of encouragement, that kind of investment into one another's lives. We've lost that in our independent culture. We isolate ourselves from one another when actually God wants us intertwined with one another. And friends, this is the great commission. It's not the great omission. And yet, that's what we find today. This is the briefing before the battle. There's no other option, no other directive, no other process. God doesn't need you to make disciples. You need to be a part of the discipleship process. It's for you. And, and it's, it's mandatory because you need to be about this process. He created you, he redeemed you to spiritually reproduce. 
In fact, dogs bark, ducks swim, and every Christian makes disciples. To not pursue discipleship is to deny why you're saved. You are here, left here, before heaven to glorify Him by investing God's Word and the lessons you've learned in life into one another's lives. Making disciples is the command of our general to his army, and disobedience is A-W-O-L, absence without leave. This is Christ's most important assignment for you, for me, to not merely invest into your children, but to mentor the lost in the world and the saved in the church. Interesting. Gallup, who does those surveys of religious life in America, made this shocking statement. Quote, Never before in the history of the church has the gospel of Jesus Christ made such inroads while at the same time making so little difference in how people live. Wow. Now why is that? A weak gospel. Number two, inaccurate preaching. Number three, no discipleship. No discipleship. This weakness is the result of sometimes making decisions without making disciples. Don't treat discipleship as optional. Every parent in this room is involved in the process of discipling your children, and yet you need to think broader, as Christ does, that we are to be involved in investing that way towards one another and gaining that from multiple people within the context of the church. In fact, number two in your outline, making disciples is a relational process. A relational process. You say, I can't model, I can't influence, I can't disciple, I can't even get to church on time. Come on. How how can you disciple others? Well, discipleship is that relational process. You encourage, you encourage obedience, you encourage the word to be lived out and teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded us. You share experiences, you share from your failures and the way that you didn't implement the truth, your joys, etc. All of that is a part of this process. Look again at verses 19 and 20 of Matthew chapter 28. Go, therefore and make disciples. Main command, make disciples. Of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe how much? All that I've commanded you. We want all of our lives to come under the authority of the Word of God. And the main verb there is to make disciples has three participles, go, baptizing, and teaching, which define what discipleship is. And basically, a disciple is not a super-Christian. It's a regular Christian. The term disciple was actually first used uh, of a Christian. And and Luke actually reminds you in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. A disciple is a Christian. Uh, a Christian is a disciple. There's, there's no levels there. It's just another term. And the term disciple means learner or follower. You're a learner from other people. Uh, one of the great evidences of your maturity as a Christian is that you're a learner. You learn from anyone and anyone and everyone on how to live out the truth of God's Word. You'll take a lesson from any environment, from any person, 
That's the lesson of humility there. And disciples are those who learn and follow so they might be like their master, our Lord Jesus Christ. True disciples pursue imitating the Lord in every way, in every thought, in every action. They're trying to be like Christ. Again, this is through a relationship. And Luke reminds you in Luke chapter 6, verse 30, what's he say? He says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be what? Like his teacher. You're like Christ because of this relationship of teacher-master kind of thing and, and you being the student. Discipleship is a relationship in order to help others become like Christ. And that process includes... Matthew 28, 19, go. Now, literally, it's going. Or the actual reference, if you were to describe it out, the word meaning of the participle is, as you are going. As you're going through life, share the gospel. As you're going. Uh, Would you agree that the most effective way in which to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to a non-Christian is through relationship? Would you agree with that? Maybe you wouldn't. At T4G, many, many years back now, they asked this giant conference, how did you come to Christ? And they asked these thousands of people, and they said, was it through a tract? Was it through street preaching? Was it through a movie? Uh, Was it through some form of literature? And there was always a few hands that rose. And in this crowd of 15,000 people, a few hands went up for each one of those categories. But when they asked how many came to Christ through the vehicle of a family or a friend, 98% of the people raised their hand. 98. Making disciples includes relational evangelism. He's saying, as you're going through life, share the gospel. Why wouldn't you want to share the gospel? Listen, you understand when you say gospel, you saying about the gospel, you understand what we're talking about, right? God saves. You understand the difference between true biblical Christianity and every other religion on planet earth. Do you? Do you understand it? Every single religion on planet earth is saying you can work your way to heaven. Just be good enough, do enough righteous things, go to enough services, say enough prayers, light enough candles, and somehow God's going to be pleased with you. The Bible teaches that is wrong. In fact, even pseudo-Christianity sometimes says work your way to heaven. The real Christianity that comes out of the Scripture is pretty simple. is that you'll never work your way to heaven. You'll never be good enough to be accepted by God. God Himself has to do the work on your behalf. Can I hear an amen to that? That's right. And what He did is He sent His Son to bear the punishment for your sin on the cross. So when you put your faith in Christ, you say, I believe Not I work, but I believe and my life, I I entrust my life to Christ and that falls on Him. Your sin then falls on Christ and it's punished there on the cross. All of God's wrath is poured out on Christ for your sin on Christ Himself. And then He covers you with His righteousness so that you can stand in His presence. It's justification. And the great news about justification is that God doesn't stop there. When you're genuinely saved... It means also that you're not just justified, but you are regenerated or born again. You're made new. You look the same on the outside, but you are not the same. You're a new person who desires to follow God, who desires to please Christ. Not because you're working it up, but because he gave you a new heart that wants to. Even when you fail to, you're laying on the ground just after you've sinned, you still say, I still want to follow Jesus. 
Because he gave you a new heart that wants to. Romans 6, 17, he gives you a heart that wants to obey. That's salvation, and it comes from God. And why wouldn't you want to go through life and tell everybody that there's only one way of salvation? Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, and no one will come to the Father except through Jesus Christ. No other faith, no other religion. It will only be through Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. And therefore, that's what, as a part of the discipleship process, you're going through life wanting to make sure that people know who Christ is and that they would be born again and that they would be then those who want to follow him. The second part of discipleship that he lays out in this text is baptizing. Now, you know what baptizing is. It's immersion in water so that you're in union with Christ. You're showing that you're in union. You're dying with him. And then you're lifted out of the water. And so you're symbolizing your union with him in the resurrection. So you died with Christ. You rose again. And not only are you identifying with Jesus Christ. Are you ready for this? But you're identifying with the body of Christ. You're now saying, I belong to the church. And these are my peeps. Okay, and this is the person that I'm wanting to follow. I'm declaring myself is that he's my master. I'm going to pursue him together with all these other people. And then finally, not just baptizing, he says in Matthew 28, teaching, teaching. And what's he say? He says he's teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you through relationship teaching others how to bring their lives under the authority of the Word of God. Every part of your life is seeking to obey the Bible. You know what it means to be complete in Christ? You know, there's these certain passages of the New Testament that really kind of freak us out because it sounds like perfectionism, but it's not. It's basically saying, I'm trying to live my life under the authority of the Word of God in every area. That's basically it. And that's what the Great Commission and discipleship is. When you're meeting with people, you're, you're saying, okay, where do we need to bring your life and my life under the authority of the Word of God so that we can be more like Christ and honor and glorify Him? So you're showing them what to obey in the Word of God. You're showing them how to obey God's Word in every aspect of their life. You say, I just can't do it. I've got nothing to offer. I'm too great a sinner. I'm not mature enough. I'm too young in the Lord. I've I've never been discipled, and I've never discipled anyone. Be quiet! Don't be foolish. Read your Bible. Those are errors about discipleship. You don't do discipleship alone. Making disciples is never about you alone influencing one other person alone. That's what parachurch ministries made it to be, but that's not what the Bible says. That's not what Jesus is commanding here. The verb there, look at Matthew 28 again. Make disciples is plural. A going is plural. Baptizing is plural. Teaching them to obey is plural. We're supposed to do this together. You're never to be the sole influencer. You were never intended to be the sole impactor of another believer. I mean, one of the sweetest truths about discipleship is that the term disciple actually disappears after Acts 21. What do you mean? No New Testament epistle contains the Greek word disciple. Whoa. Now, 
the process of making disciples is everywhere in the New Testament epistles, like the older women training the younger women, the older men influencing the younger men in 1 Peter 5. But the term disciple is not found in any New Testament epistle. And the reason is this. As the New Testament focus moved from Christ to the apostles, to the elders, to the church itself, so does the process of discipleship. In other words, the, the best part is this. As Christ physically discipled his men, now the body of Christ disciples his people. So Christ did it through the Gospels. Now the church is discipling and influencing one another to be what Christ wants us to be. We're to be in those intentional relationships, investing into each other in order that we come to Christ or become like Christ. Think corporate when you think discipleship. Think church when you think discipleship. Think biblically. You as an individual believer are a part of the process of impacting others to live like Christ. You're encouraging each other. Stop thinking solo. You, you may meet one another one-on-one, but you are never to be the sole influencer in anyone else's life because you're just causing them to become more like Christ and others are doing the same. You're a part of the body gifted in some way to display uh, Jesus Christ and all of Christ in a wonderful way, but you'll never display all of Christ to the fullest. Listen, you all know this. Stay with me now. You as an individual can put Christ on display. Amen? But you can't do it as well as this body of people. This body of people who are gifted really differently put more of Christ on display than you can individually. And therefore, we need the relationship of one another in each other's lives in order to become more like Christ. So, you need others. Parents, you need this for your children. Your children need the influence of other people in their lives in order to become all that Christ wants them to be because no one parent here has all the spiritual gifts. So therefore, we make disciples together. They're never your disciples. They're Christ's disciples. And instead of Christ bodily making disciples, Christ now uses his body to make disciples. And the body of Christ, which disciples you're a part of, of that relational impact. One of the sweet things at our church is I can walk on campus and children will say things to me that disciple me. Uh, there are Students who can say things to me and fellowship with that disciple me. I can influence others by things that I would say. And there are seniors. Everybody can be involved and engaged in investing into each other's lives. And that's the process of discipleship. When you meet one-on-one with someone, it increases the intensity. It increases the accountability. But it also increases the possibility that they'll grow to be like you and not Christ. (laughs) Okay? And so therefore, discipleship can be one-on-one or a group meeting together or a church gathering for worship as long as there's intentional relationships for the purpose of growth in Christ. Are you getting it? Discipleship is what a church does as the body of Christ. You and I make disciples, each of us together in this process. You must be a part of the process because this is what Christ commands of us, to be engaged in this. 
And if you're meeting one-on-one and you're in a group of men or a group of women, and then all of a sudden through loving discussion, you, do, you find out that Bill is struggling with his finances and putting that under the authority of the Word of God and doing it biblically. And, and though you're all okay with finances, none of you are really strong. So what do you do? Well, you encourage Bill to meet with Sammy. You say, why Sammy? Because Sammy's really great at budgeting and putting his truth of the finances under the authority of the Word of God and to influence them because we're all just influencing each other together. And the goal is not to become like me, not to become like you, but to become like who? Who do we want to be key? Christ. So the goal is not to meet as a group or not to have one-on-one meeting. It's becoming like Christ through anyone and everyone in the body who can relationally help in that process. Are you getting it? Think corporate. Think how this church can influence you and you can be a part of influencing others in this church to become like Christ. It's an adventure that we do not just solo, but together. Together. The body of Christ, which disciples, coming under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word in every area. And Jesus said, teaching them to obey, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Teaching all of us together to become more like Christ together. Discipleship is that relational process of a healthy church body. Number three in your outline, making disciples is imitating what Jesus did. This is simple, but very crucial to you and to me. Christ made disciples. How did Christ do it? Are you ready? This is scary. How did Christ make disciples? Are you ready? Hang on. Hang on to your chair. He lived with them. He lived with them. He answered their questions. He ate with them. He taught the multitudes. He modeled for his men. He answered their questions. He sent his men out, Mark 6, two by two. And if you read on, he actually pulled them back together and they debriefed what they learned. It's training in every element. And discipleship is going and baptizing and teaching them to obey, evangelizing, immersion in the church, and coming under the authority of the Word of God in every element. It is done in relationship. This is what the New Testament reinforces. You know these verses. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me, Paul says, just as I am also of Christ. 2 Thessalonians 3, 7. For you yourselves know you ought to follow our what? Example. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Brethren, join in following my what? Example. And observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember those who led you, spoke the word of God to you, and consider the result of their conduct. Imitate their faith. This is something that by God's grace early on in my Christian life was made very obvious to me. And so for the remainder of my Christian life up to this day, there are men who I talk to and people who I interact with and ask them very pointed questions about what to do. Because even at 66, I run into situations that I have not experienced before. And so I call them up or I talk to them face to face and say, how did you apply the Word of God in this situation? How did you live out this so we can glorify God and I can be more like Christ through this scenario, which is new to me? And that's part of what this process is. 
Christianity can be better caught than taught. By example, by modeling, by imitation, by following patterns. This is what we're doing. And we're learning from both the strengths and weaknesses. Sometimes we learn from each other's failures more so than our strengths. Our faith is better imitated than merely instructed. Discipleship is not merely preaching the word at somebody. Discipleship is not merely teaching the word. Discipleship is not merely modeling the word. Discipleship is not going through a book merely with someone. Discipleship is all those things and more. All of it. Don't think of a discipleship as a curriculum or a book or a class or a course or a classroom. Stop it. It it is too many think of discipleship as a playbook. And I, I, I dreaded giving this illustration here because of your pastor's previous life. Uh, when it comes to playbook, you know, because he's going to go, Chris, that's really not what we're talking about here. (laughs) You know what a playbook is, right? A playbook is a binder which contains all the offensive and defensive plays for a football game. And so let me ask you, if I gave you the playbook for the Green Bay Packers, far superior than the Seattle Seahawks, if I gave you a playbook for the Green Bay Packers... And you memorize, you memorize every single play, every single one. What will, will that make you ready to play for the Green Bay Packers? The answer, yes or no. Which one? No. Why? You need to exercise. You need to work out. You need to have experience as a football player. You need to eat right. You need to model other players. You need to listen to your coaches. You need to push weights. You need to run plays over and over and over and over and over again to play for this team. That's a better concept for you to understand what Jesus says when he says make disciples. It's not just learning facts. It's practice. It's interaction. It's challenging each other. It's encouraging each other to be all that Christ wants us to be. It's not I'm better than you or you're better than me or you're more mature than me or I'm more mature than you. It's not a, it's, it's I want to be like Christ. You want to be like Christ. Let's help each other become like Christ. That's the goal. Understand, too many think making disciples is merely learning the playbook in a classroom. Discipleship is the process of instructing in God's Word, modeling God's Word uh, through a life with lots of practice, through relationship with others who are pursuing Christ. Are you getting it? Fruitful discipleship is seeking to impact others for Christ by training others like Christ. And how did He train? He lived with them. Making disciples is intentional relationships directed by the Word of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, with intentional and extended life example, with the involvement of the body of Christ so that others will come to Christ and become like Christ. That's what it is. Discipleship is modeling what Christ did for His men. And friends, everything Christ said was perfect. Can I hear an amen to that? And, are you ready? Everything Christ did was perfect. And what He did was discipleship. He preached. He taught. He lived. He discipled. He discipled. Discipleship in the community of the church should imitate how Christ discipled His men as much as possible. I had a very full weekend. This is probably the only weekend uh, only event that I have not had someone with me. 
I'm taking somebody with me all the time. One to be challenged by them and one to challenge them. Constantly in relationship. Listen, making disciples is intentional relationships. Don't ignore the command to make disciples and you're to get after it. Discipleship is messy. It's difficult. Sometimes it's hurtful. Sometimes it's humbling. But it's exactly what Christ wants for us. Which leads us to our final point, which is number four in your outline. Making disciples is your mission. Your mission. Making disciples is local, where you're about this process together with one another, but it's also global. Take a look at what he says in verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the what? Nations. Together, we're to be a part of this process of cultivating a church that becomes like Christ so we can establish churches elsewhere where they can make disciples. And basically, that's what missions is, is doing church elsewhere. And so we're trying to establish what God uh, wants us to do, which is to make His gospel known and establish mature believers through the process of discipleship and His Word so that making disciples in other nations requires a church to make disciples biblically and then to send those who would then be competent to establish churches in other lands and other languages. And if you have Christ's heart, then like Him, you will, Second Peter chapter 3, 9, not wish for any to perish, but for how many to come to repentance? All. You want everyone to repent. You want everyone to know Christ. Do you have the same heart of Christ for the nations? Not just our thing here, but all across the world. Making disciples is helping others come to Christ, become like Christ, but it's also helping others to come to know the greatness of the triune God. Take a look at verse 19 again. It says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As we identify with Christ, as we identify with the body, we're also saying we are honoring the triune God, the fullness of the triune God. And how did the triune God manifest His presence? Well, He did it through the Son, and that's John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that they may know You, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. And you know Philippians 3.8, I count all things to be lost, rubbish, refuse, in view of the surpassing value of what? Knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So your mission is to introduce lost people to Christ so that they might know Him, they might love Him, they might obey Him. And in that process, then influence others around the world for His glory. Christ's statement when he says all authority is given to me, he's saying that making discipleship includes the power of God. In fact, when he says in verse 20, and lo, I'm with you always, he's affirming that making disciples also guarantees the presence of God in that process. God's going to give you his power and his presence. And by the way, can you live the Christian life? The answer to that question is no. You can't. God has to do it through you. How do we glorify God? God glorifies Himself through you. We need to depend on Him, right? I can do nothing, but He can. Correct? So He does that through us, through His Spirit. And so therefore, we need His power and His presence in which to accomplish this great command. Are you going to obey Christ's command to you? To interrelate, to have friendships, to build into each other's lives, to get over that 
you know, thing that it's all about you. It's not all about you. It's all about Christ. So we help one another even to the end of the age. Until your end, until the end, we continue to not ignore this command, but to pursue it with all our heart. So let's take this home. Letter A in your outline. Are you genuinely obedient to Christ in discipleship? Good question. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they what? They follow me. The Greek word follow means road or path and basically your sheep are taking the path of Christ and Christ's path is making disciples. And as thou didst send me, John 17, 18, into the world, I also sent them into the world. You here on earth are to make disciples. It's a part of who you are. It's a part of why he left you here. The church of Jesus Christ has left the great commission and they've made it the great omission. And it's up to you to say, I will no longer submit to that. I will begin to initiate relationships, build relationships, build friendships with one another so that we can challenge one another to be more like Christ. And by the way, in this church, it's already going on. You're already in relationship. You're already encouraging each other. But let it increase in a way that you understand what Christ has done. He forgave you. He justified a rebel. He unchained His chosen from their sin. He makes them into followers and learners who want to obey. And what is that challenge in Romans 6.17? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart. And in fact, you are saved and sanctified to 1 Peter 1.1. 1, 1, obey Jesus Christ. And therefore, any obedient Christian is going to want to obey the challenge the commission to invest into one another in relationship in order to become more like Christ. Now, letter B. As a church, the members are to be committed to the relationship of discipleship together. It's what we do together. In fact, Ephesians 4.16, it's as each proper working of each individual part, as you do what you're called to do, you cause the growth of the body. The, the growth of this church and any church is much dependent upon your willingness to do what God has called you to do, to function in your spiritual giftedness and also to invest into one another in the area of making disciples. Letter C, stop fearing the relationship of discipleship. Listen, understand that you are to be not afraid of one another, but to live by faith. And faith means that when it becomes about Christ, when it becomes about His Word, and when it becomes about becoming more like Him, then relationships take on a whole new feel. They become a part of the process to make us more like Christ. When you've stopped developing as a Christian, you're deteriorating. When your children uh, you know, are looking to you as parents, what they need is progressing parents, not perfect ones. What the church needs is growing Christians, not great Christians. We need to be a part of the process of becoming like the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do that in relationship to one another. A true disciple is a learner. And they learn from one another. They benefit from those relationships. They rejoice even when there's pain in the struggle of relationship because they become more like Jesus Christ as we follow His Word. And letter D, making disciples requires the strength of God. Jesus just taught us that making disciples requires the power and presence of God. And this, again, one more truth. That does not happen unless you have Christ in you in salvation, 
and that Christ works through you in sanctification. Maybe today you're a so-called uncertain Christian. Maybe today you know that you're not born again internally. You don't have a transformed heart that wants to follow Him. Maybe today you're uncertain that you're saved and you're a Christian in name only. What you need to do is cry out to Jesus Christ to awaken your heart so that you can respond to Him in faith and repentance and begin this incredible journey of following Jesus Christ until we get to see Him face to face in glory and rejoice together as one large family. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this passage. Thank You for the way it speaks to us to engage in this process that You've commanded as the resurrected Christ. We pray that we might honor You in this manner, that we might please You in how we respond, and we'll give You all the glory for what You'll do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.